Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the Bonehead Podcast. I am Jody Beta. And I am Patrick Neon. Welcome back to another episode of our conversation series. We have a very special guest on our podcast today. We would like to give a warm welcome to Dr. Kais Naziri. Dr. Naziri is a fellowship-trained adult hip and knee reconstruction surgeon and assistant professor at SUNY Downstate Health Sciences University. He is also the associate program director of the orthopedic surgery residency program here. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Naziri. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Naziri, what got you interested in medicine in the first place? Um, I think when you are growing up in an immigrant family, I don't think you have a lot of choices. So uh, very early on, I was told that I was going to be a doctor. So I said, OK. can definitely relate to that to, <laughs> to a certain point. Could you please describe the clinical training path that you took? Uh, very interesting question. So. I grew up in Las Vegas. Um, it's uh, an interesting place for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, but for me, it was normal. And for me, it was home. Um, so I was in college at UNLV. And um, at, at, at some point, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't know how that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So at some point, um, just trying and trying, uh, I woke up one day and I said, you know what, it feels like I'm on the stationary bike of life because I was working and I was working, but I wasn't going anywhere. And this is a long time ago, but there was only one medical school at the time in the whole state of Nevada. And it was very hard to get in. So um, I was getting a little frustrated. And at the time I said, you know what, I just need to start something somewhere. So it was either going and having a job in nightlife where everybody else I know, they even still work there in Vegas or um, find any school that would take me. So I actually went to the islands, uh, to the American University of Antigua for medical school. It almost happened overnight. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I went there, I got my first opportunity into the field of medicine. I thought I was going to do primary care because that's what I thought that a doctor was. A doctor was a person that could help everybody. And there was uh, no other field that I saw that that could do that other than family medicine. Mm -hmm. So I was actually in my fourth year of medical school where uh, I first got introduced to orthopedic surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And so at that point I had already had my applications in and, uh, wow. I thought that, that that was my path. And at some point I met somebody, uh, who is now like my best friend and a mentor of mine who basically said, he's like, you're cool. You're a great guy. Why not? orthopedic surgery. I'm like, well, why not a lot of things? You know, I mean, of course I would want that, but I'm like, I'm nowhere near that. He's like, bro, this is America. You can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And so at that point I was like, all right, well, uh, I'm so far away from what the average orthopedic surgery uh, applicant looks like on paper. And I was like, all right, well, I have to pay the toll. Mm -hmm. So at that point then I went and I did two years of a research fellowship in orthopedic surgery, uh, put in all my time and effort into that, countless, countless hours. Um, at that point, then I got the 
the opportunity to get into downstate as the orthopedic research coordinator mm-hmm. uh, where I was for a year. And then I was fortunate enough to then match into a spot in residency here. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I've been here ever since. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for sharing your story. And how many years have you been in practice since graduating fellowship? This is my fourth year now. Fourth, fourth full year. Yeah, it's crazy. Time flies. Time flies. So now that you mentioned that you did your residency here, how was that experience for you? Unbelievable. I enjoyed it because it was something I wanted so much. And especially nowadays, and you guys, they're going to hear this all the time. It's getting harder and harder every year. And it's absolutely true. Uh, and if you work very hard for something and it's what you've always wanted in life. And, uh, if, uh, if you are fortunate enough to have that, you should be happy in life. There are things that you want that you'll never have. Mm -hmm. So if you want things and then you, you actually are fortunate enough to get them, you should be happy about that. It's tough. But, um, every time that phone rang, Every time my pager went off, I would answer the phone and say orthopedic surgery. And that would just put a big smile on my face. And that was my fuel this whole time. I loved it because um, it was what I always wanted. The whole process uh, is, is hard and it's hard for a reason because we have a very important job and it's for five years and that's not a short period of time. So it's hard to be good at something every single day. Mm -hmm. But uh, I loved it. I'm biased, obviously. I trained (laughs) here and I liked it enough that I came back here after fellowship and that was for a reason. It was because I found everything I wanted in life right here. Right. Wow. Your story is very inspiring. Um, On uh, kind of a different note, you also have an MBA degree. Uh, We wanted to know what influenced you to pursue that. Yeah, so I mean, um, just having an alternative route into the field that gives you a lot of time to actually think. And um, when I was doing my years of research, uh, you start to you start to realize that research is a language, right? Mm -hmm. And you can speak it, which means that you can translate other people's thoughts into a different language. And it becomes an actual skill. Right. So when you have that skill, you have to be able to use that skill. So then in the same way, I looked at it like business, especially nowadays, Mm -hmm. is a language that most doctors can't speak. And because of that, we get at times overlooked or taken advantage of in our own field because hospital administrators use this lingo that we may not be able to to understand and because we don't understand it most doctors just say you know what let me just go do what i can do i'll let those people do what they can do but unfortunately uh that i think is the is a big problem in healthcare in this country right now mm-hmm. so that was one of the main reasons why i said you know what i want to be able to sit at any table with anyone and be able to speak their language right and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but how do you um, consider your MBA degree to supplement patient care? Well, I mean, if I can go and and 
to understand how some insurances work, how some hospitals work and what drives which hospital. Like I, I have the, uh, it's an interesting role. I work for both this hospital here at downstate, which is state funded, but still private. Mm -hmm. And I also work at Kings County hospital, which is not private. So how, if you can understand how a health system functions, you can also know how to navigate it so you can best serve your patient. So um, I do think that I have used my MBA advantageously because of that part of it. You've touched on it briefly, but can you tell us a bit more about why you chose to pursue orthopedic surgery? Yeah, um, it sounds very cliche, but in order to, uh, in the field of medicine, there are very few opportunities where you can have an almost immediate instantaneous impact on the patient's life. Now, um, I read countless applications all the time. That's what everybody says. I like to work with my hands. I've always liked to go and fix things, et cetera, et cetera. It's true. I was like that also. Uh, but uh, it was it was only when I, I was a fourth year medical student, I was in a case and it was just me and an orthopedic fellow. And he handed me a saw for the first time I held it and he showed me he's like this is the implant this is the bone in between there that's bone cement and he said go get it and i had it in my hand and it was like a little buzz bzz, another buzz bzz, and then after that it was the coolest thing in the world and i was like people do this for a living like i want to be one of those people so um all things decide that moment was the moment for me. So Dr. Naziri, what challenges did you face in your training slash currently face as an attending? Well, orthopedic surgery is not easy. As I have said, uh, five years for anything is a long time, but five years of residency is five times 365 days of your mm -hmm. life right? At least. And it is a very important time of your life. A lot of life happens in those five years. So um, being able to live your life while you are an actual resident, very important. And I say this all the time. I love the job. I loved it from the, the moment I found it. But in order to keep a uh, level of happiness in life or the work-life balance, which everybody is talking about nowadays, um, you have to have a balance, right? So the hardest thing about my program, the hardest thing about my training was that my family was far away so that every opportunity I got, I had to go and see them just because, again, five years is a long time. So um, I was envious 
of those people who were only like an hour drive away or half an hour away. And um, it is very important. I tell our applicants that all the time that apples to apples, when you are ranking programs, if you have one that is near your family or near other people that will be there for you, it is so important Mm -hmm. because then you don't have to go and plan a trip to go home then it could just be a weekend, Mother's Day, Father's Day, an average day. Uh, but I think that's it's very important because, again, five years is a long time. A lot of life happens. It's not an easy job. So it's always good to have um, people who you know and love right around you. Right. You just alluded to this, but striking that balance and managing that work-life, you know, integration is definitely challenging for medical students, residents, and attendings alike. How do you manage that balance in your family and your hobbies? I'm fortunate that my passion and my hobby is also my job. Not everybody has that, and um, I don't know if that will last forever, but I can't imagine it not. I mean, uh, I love my job. I tell every patient that I am. Uh, I when I go home, I think about work. When I sleep, I sleep so I can wake up well rested so I can do an uh, even better job every day. Um, it sounds intense and, and it might sound crazy, but I really love it. And again, I'm also fortunate that my wife, um, her father was also in orthopedic surgeon. So she understands when your passion and your work are the same thing, then you are fortunate. And as you know, as for now, I'm fortunate. (laughs) If you were asking a residency interview, the question, how do you see yourself 10 years from now? How close are you to that answer? I'm five years away from that answer. No, uh, (laughs) I would say that uh, I am well on my way. uh, And I am fortunate lucky, grateful, because, um, you know, in life you have, I guess you you could say you have a three-year plan, five-year plan, and a 10-year plan, and not everything goes as planned, but I've been very, very fortunate, and uh, I, I feel like everything I have set as a goal, I've been able to achieve in a timely manner, so um, I guess I'm lucky dr naziri why did you decide to specialize in adult reconstruction excellent question um and i am biased but i think orthopedics is at the pinnacle of all of medicine and in orthopedics at the top of the list is joints or uh hip and knee arthroplasty and there are several reasons why i think that now one is that we have the best outcomes in any field of orthopedic surgery we we can judge our complications in the one or two percent range nobody else in any field of medicine has that um and because of that our standards are the highest. Um, This isn't 50-50 surgery. This isn't, I'm going to go in and see how things end up. This is, you come in here, 
you get to pick your surgery, pick your surgeon, and you, this is like the first class flight. I tell patients all the time, you walk across the street and you get hit by a car, you have to go in, have your surgery. You didn't have the choice. That's like flying standby. But getting a total knee replacement, getting the total hip replacement, that is a vacation you've waited your whole life for. You've had pain that has been affecting you on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Your quality of life is getting worse and worse. You are acting at an age much older than how you feel. And if this hip pain or knee pain has that amount of an impact on your life, there is an answer. Uh, and it's such a good answer in the right patient at the right time that the expectations are of excellence. And there's no other field within orthopedic surgery that has that same rate. Since you've trained at both Downstate and Cleveland Clinic, can you speak a little bit about how your joints training differed between the institutions? Yes. So um, one of the main things I wanted in my fellowship training was uh, exposure to things that I did not have as a resident. Um, the implementation of, uh, of advanced technologies like the Mako robot or the Rosa robot were just um, becoming more and more popular at that time. And because I didn't have a lot of exposure to that as a resident, I didn't want to enter the field on my own without going and getting that amount of exposure in my fellowship. So I wanted to go to a place that had both robots and did a high volume of elective joints because I feel like our training here at Downstate as far as orthopedic trauma is unmatched. So I didn't feel like I needed to go to any, I didn't feel like I needed further the training there, but just the exposure to the cutting edge at that time was my main priority. So based on that, what is your um, favorite procedure to perform now? It's, uh, I'm biased, obviously. I, I like them all, but um, there is no feeling like a well-balanced primary total knee, but also... Um, being newer into to practice, I get a lot of patients with problems that have had their primary surgeries done elsewhere, and they end up uh, getting passed along, and they end up in my office. And um, being able to go and figure out what is wrong or finding a way to help the patient that has been passed along like uh, like a hot potato, uh, but it ends up in my lap. I find that challenge to be um, uh, like one of the best parts of this job because there is no other feeling that, that if that patient is helpless and they've gone and sought help elsewhere and everybody else says, no, 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 it uh, it feels great to be able to try to help them. Right. 
kind of following up on that, like what kind of factors do you think contribute to these patients coming to you, um, having been passed along and like having had failed surgeries in the past? It's very interesting because of where we are. Um, we have access to some of the ivory tower institutions, which are right on the other side of the bridge. Uh, and um, there are a lot of patients who end up there for their primary joints because that's where they want to go. They have access there and that's fine. But it's it, if they start to have problems afterwards, if they start to have pain, if they have an infection, if they have an instability event, um, they don't often end up back at those hospitals. So um, we see unfortunately, uh, uh, a lot of patients that have had their primary cases done elsewhere. Uh, and whenever there is the problem, they may not always get back to those hospitals. So um, uh, a lot of them end up here or either at Kings County because we say yes to everybody. On a different note, what are your research interests within adult reconstruction? I mean, um, like I said earlier, I did several years of research in order to get into residency. And like I said, uh, it's a language. So because of that, it's, it is also an advantageous skill to have. So throughout my residency and even afterwards, I've, I've been actively involved in research because, um, it was my one trick. When you're a one trick pony, you can't forget that one trick. Uh, and I have found it to be very helpful all throughout my residency and afterwards. It helps you as far as your knowledge. It helps you as far as um, getting involved with industry. Uh, and um, it helps you even uh, in court. I haven't been there, but <laughs> that's what I've heard. But um, exactly. Uh, but as far as where we are right now, a lot of the projects I've been interested in personally have to do with um, accessibility to healthcare, especially elective hip and knee arthroplasties in and around the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we have found and we have uh, shown that um, there, it has become harder for some of our patients uh, to get access to these things. Um, and unfortunately, it has only made the problem that existed before this pandemic even worse now. But uh, I try to, uh, fix that both on an academic level and on a clinical level. That's certainly very interesting. And we're very grateful to be in the lab here to get exposure to that kind of research. You also talked a little bit about uh, the robot assisted surgeries during your fellowship training. Um, just following up on that, how do you see joint surgery changing in the future? I think that it brings some objectivity to a thing that uh, was very subjective. Um, we talk about balance and we talk about exposure, especially in the total knee and everybody has their own way 
uh, we, we just like anything else, if there are a hundred ways to do something, that means there's no one right way. Because if there were, everybody would be doing it that way. So when you have your own theory on what a knee should look like and feel like after surgery, then um, in order to be able to have a certain amount of a reproducibility, you need some objective things. And that's what that the robot or even any robot will help you get is uh, is some data. Now, it's not foolproof. It doesn't do the surgery for you, but it does make it a little bit more objective. You mentioned a little bit about how um, patients undergoing arthroplasty can only expect excellence. Can you talk a little bit about like what kind of factors within a surgeon determine um, different degrees of excellence? That is a deep question. Uh, I think excellence is an absolute thing. Uh, so you, you are either excellent or not. Uh, and holding yourself to the highest amount of accountability and being able to hit that mark every day, in my opinion, is excellence. If you care about your job and you care about your patient as if they were your own family member and you do everything in your power to help them have uh, a favorable outcome, that is excellence. I, I tell people all the time, this job gives you religion. If we are at some point all scientists, we are doctors, we have a higher amount of knowledge in these uh, sciences. But when you know that you're in that surgery, you can do everything right and you may not have a good outcome and you can do things where you you're, you will walk away from a surgery and say, I hope this patient does well. I'm not sure. I wish. I hope. I hope. I pray. All of a sudden, now you're not a scientist anymore because you're hoping and praying. And this job gives you religion because you could see an x-ray and it looks perfect and that patient may not be happy. And then you can also have another x-ray where you're like, oh my God, what happened in that case? And that patient's doing fine. So uh, it is not always a science, but this job does give you religion. Dr. Naziri, what is your favorite pimping question for residents or medical students? My only question I ever ask is, do you know who Bad Bunny is? <laughs> That's it. Uh, I think that learning happens both passively and actively. And the best way that I can be involved in anybody's academic process is to teach. Uh, and you will learn on your own regardless, but I don't need anybody in the operating room to be nervous. So if I could do anything, my power in the OR is to always keep everybody calm. That's why I play music. I want everybody to enjoy their experience there. We are all fortunate to be there. I have the best job in the world. Last thing I need is one person who is more nervous than I am about me accidentally asking them the question that they may not know the answer to. 
I don't ask questions. I only want you to know who Bad Bunny is. Because <laughs> if you don't know, you're going to find out. And do you listen to Bad Bunny in the OR? Only. <laughs> only Bad Bunny. Um, on a different note, who's the greatest athlete of all time? The greatest athlete of all time. Uh, interesting question. Um, the greatest athlete of all time. I mean, I'm biased. Uh, I am a 49er fan. I am a Laker fan. Uh, I am a fan of Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. Uh, I, I would say Jerry Rice, Kobe Bryant, Muhammad Ali. Um, and I hate to say this, but, but Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, how can you not include him in there? It's a good answers for sure. Uh, how would your trainees describe you? Interesting. Uh, interesting question. Um, I don't know, but I hope that they would at least say fair. Uh, and I am their advocate. My expectations of them are of excellence only because that's what I would have wanted for my own self. I'm biased in the sense that I trained here. Uh, so I, and I loved my experience. So my, I say this all the time. My job here is to make sure that they have a good experience here. Um, they're all smart. Orthopedic surgery is very hard to get into nowadays. There's no way that you, you got this far if you're not smart already. Fine. You're a hard worker. You have to be. The job is like a filter. It filters those things out. So when, when you're already smart, you're already hardworking, what else is uh, left? Um, so I try to just go to make sure that along this ride, you enjoy this voyage. We are all fortunate and grateful. And sometimes people forget that being a resident, you're not a student anymore. You guys have been so good at being a student for so long that you forget that residency is not school anymore. Part of it is having a job. So you have to be able to deal with people like they're your colleagues, other employees, other staff members, and along the way, have a good time. So I, I would I would say I would hope that they would first call me their advocate because that is one of the main reasons I'm here for. Great. And what is your favorite cuisine? Cuisine? As you can see, I it doesn't look like I skip a lot of meals, but I love food in general. I'm biased. I'm Afghan. I think the Afghan food is the best. Um, again, I'm biased, uh, but there isn't a lot that I don't eat, and I, I love to eat. I plan my life around it. <laughs> if you didn't become a doctor, what would you have become? Maybe homeless. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I think, uh, interesting question. I have no idea. Uh, but I grew up in Las Vegas before I went even to medical school. I worked in the hospitality mm -hmm. industry. I worked at the front desk at the big hotel. I was, uh, I sold shoes, I sold, uh, uh, nice suits. I did everything. So who knows if you could have one superpower, what would it be? superpower it would be to turn back time that's a good one is that a superpower absolutely oh. all right so yes what is a common stereotype within your field Th that 
we don't care about the actual patient that we only care about our actual surgery. Um, that's not true. Uh, people call surgeons robots because all they want to do is operate. But I think being a surgeon is being able to execute a well thought out plan. And you're not supposed to think in the operating room because you should have already done all that thinking the night prior. That's a common stereotype that all we like to do is operate and lift weights. And uh, it's not wholly true, but I guess partially true. <laughs> and lastly, how did you celebrate completing your training? By more training. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's endless. I was told once uh, that there's always, I, I had a friend of mine who wanted to get into orthopedic surgery and it was very hard and eventually he got in and then uh i called him i said you know what congratulations it's over you're great he's like man there's just more problems i'm like what are you talking about he's like engineers not easy and i'm like all right well i mean i would love to have that problem and he's like there's always another problem and like i went and took that into one of my sayings all the time in life you can never pray for no problems right there are always problems old problems are the, the, the worst thing to ever have is because those problems never went away but new problems mean your old problems went away so in life i always pray for new problems and after i graduated there was another problem it's fellowship after fellowship there was another problem finding a job so in life there's always another problem but as long as they're new it means that the old ones are going away so attaining a position in orthopedic surgery residency has become increasingly competitive why do you think that is i think there are several factors one being that uh it's an excellent job obviously i'm biased but um it's a great quality of life there are very few operative fields where you don't have to take in-house call. You're not on trauma call that you have to be uh, in the actual hospital for. So that's a big part of the quality of life part. Uh, that and um, the average starting salary and ending salary, honestly, is, is on the higher end of the spectrum. So all of those things will factor into why it's becoming more and more popular, which is why it's becoming harder and harder to get it. How do you think students, especially those from downstate, can set themselves apart? I think that the best advice I can give is that we've had several years of top programs. So find out what those students have done and try to follow that path. You don't have to think outside of the box when you know where you want to go and you know other people that have been in your seat now and that have gotten to that same place. You don't have to be creative. I think that's part of the, the issue at times is like you try to think outside the box. Sometimes you think outside the box and you end up being left outside of the box. You want to be able to get there. So there has been a pathway that has been set. We have had a higher amount of students match in orthopedic surgery every year. So 
find out what they've done, do exactly that, that same thing, and you have a pretty good chance of having a similar outcome. Thank you for that advice. We'll definitely keep that in mind when our time comes around. Yeah. You serve as the Associate Program Director for the Orthopedic Surgery Residency here at Downstate. What influenced you to take on this role? Well, again, I trained here and I enjoyed my experience. I loved it. Uh, and again, I like to see myself as an advocate for every resident. I want them to enjoy their time like I did. Uh, and being in this role, it allows me to go and take more of a hands-on role on the academic side. Um, and also I'm in charge of the MS3 and MS4 orthopedic clerkships. Same thing. That is my, my role here is to go and make sure that every MS3 and four also has an excellent experience within this field, because this is your opportunity to find out if this field is right for you. You can learn from everybody else how to put yourself in the best spot possible in order to be a part of this field. And what factors do you look at when you're considering applicants? I think it's, so I'm biased again. Uh, I didn't find this field until the very end of my time in medical school. There are other people like you guys that have found an interest in orthopedic surgery very early. So what have you done since then? If you found the love of your life last night, what did you do this morning? What have you done since then mm -hmm. to try to get yourself closer and closer? So if you write in your personal statement that I fell in love with orthopedic surgery when I was 14 years old because I was playing basketball and I had an injury. So what did you do at 15? What did you do at 18? What did you do in college? So for me, it is not about when you found out that this was for you, but what you've done since then. So I call that a dedication to the field. And if you have done that, both with being excellent in school, orthopedic research, shadowing, all of these things have shown that you have a dedication to the field. So that is the, the most important thing that I look for. Right. Aside from the objective measures, such as step scores, rotation grades, and research productivity, how do you evaluate an applicant's subjective fit or vibe with the program? I tell people all the time, there is no fit in this program. If you have in common with me, which I think is the most important thing, which is a, a love of orthopedic surgery and a dedication to this field, that is the only thing I need to have in common with you or any other applicant. Our fit is Brooklyn. There is no fit. Everybody can come here. Everybody can go and live here. We are not so rigid that we expect every resident to look a certain way or act a certain way. You will see that there are other hospitals and institutions that all have a certain look and we don't look that way. Our fit is that everybody fits. Our fit is that we are flexible enough that we want to go and ensure that you have an excellent experience here. Because when you feel like you belong somewhere, you can get the you can get the most out of that 
uh, five years. And again, we have no fit. Everybody fits. Right. On the other hand, what advice would you give to applicants to determine whether a program is a good fit for them? Exactly that same answer. I mean, honestly, uh, the biggest problem we have is that we get information most often from a person that was in our same spot five minutes ago. Most of the experience and most of the information that you guys have now, you get the most information of this year from a person who was an MS2 last year. But they don't, they're not as far away as they need to be to really be able to go and look back and say whether that was good advice or not. So as far as when you are an MS4 and you have your applications in, the most experienced, most information that you will get is from either a website or a blog somewhere. And most of those people were just applicants last year. But the best knowledge, the best experience, the best advice, I think, is from those that are four or five years down the line, because they will more likely than not go and tell you all the things you thought were important are not important. And um, that's where I find myself now. I give that same advice to our PGY4s who are applying for fellowship. Same thing. You think that these things are very important. All of a sudden, five years is going to go by. You could say, well, I could have done my fellowship anywhere. or I could have done this or that. You don't know what's important until time has gone by. You're certainly a big proponent of supporting students here, as you've mentioned previously. What does mentoring students, particularly those from downstate, mean to you? I believe in mutual success. I believe that if I can be a part of your process, of your story, of your journey, then when you can set and achieve your goal, the happiness that you get, I feed off of that too. I, my love for this field uh, is so much that I like to see the uh, eyes kind of light up of a person who sees a surgery for the, the first time or the happiness of getting what you want is, is unmatched. I'm from Vegas and you don't go to the strip often when I was younger, I'd go all the time, but it's kind of the same thing as Times Square. Both of you guys are from this area. When's the last time you went there? But when you go there, it's because you go there with family from out of town Mm -hmm. or friends. And when you see Times Square through their eyes, you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's Times Square because you take it for granted. Same way when I see the medical student who uh, falls in love with this field and then works hard and then gets in, I live that path vicariously again and again through them. So uh, I feed off of your energy. I feed off of your success is my success. Uh, And then it's an exponential amount of happiness that I I find. So I'm selfish. I selfishly want you guys to get whatever you want because it only makes me happier. Mm -hmm. Thank you for telling us that perspective. And we're certainly very grateful to have a supportive mentor like you here. Who are your biggest mentors during your training and how did they influence your view as one right now? 
the list is endless and uh it's anybody and everybody along my path there were several people who told me yes and thousands more who said no uh and every one of them had an influence to uh, uh in my story in my path there are times where you want people to encourage you and then there's times where you want people to bring you back down uh and i've been fortunate enough to have both in this field and and my pathway in this field um i have slept on a couch for months when i did research without paying for over a year and a half it's not easy i didn't want to put that burden on my parents i couldn't get loans because i wasn't in school anymore but um along the way every friend and mentor that i had that just kept me positive kept me fed and uh, had some space on their couch that i slept on every one of those is uh a reason i'm here now and every one of those are reasons why i try and do the exact same thing for others to conclude, do you have any parting words or advice for medical students who are interested in pursuing your field? Be excellent and be excellent all the time. Uh, it is not an easy job, but that's why it's so hard to get in because it is an amazing job. And the feeling of uh, being in that OR and uh, being able to have your hands there and have an immediate and tangible impact on a patient's life is unmatched and it is w worth every second of your hard work it is a feeling like no other and that wraps up this very special episode of the conversation series of the bonehead podcast thank you again for tuning in i'm joy Beta. i'm patrick neon until next time